Hey, what are you doing? What are you doing here? I thought you said you weren't going to come. Hey, who invited you? Huh? Who invited me? I didn't invite you. Well, I invited you and you uh, took a fat hit. How about, how about, like how about, how about, how about a beer? Huh? What about a beer? Go get it yourself. You know where it is. You've been here enough. Thought you guys weren't going to eat at home. Yeah, I was going to take huh? my mother and sister out. Yeah. We're going to go to the Golden Ladder. I see a mount yeast from Taiwan. Good thing I didn't and go gum there. Sing, you know? Yeah. All the communists eat there, so we yeah, decided so. to just eat it. And at all. home, we have this U.S. certified food here, you know? <laughs> Chicken, <laughs> the cow's ear, the herb skunk. Hey, yeah. don't eat that mushroom. Hey, That's from hey. China. Hey, this is from Iowa. From Des Moines, Iowa, man. I don't wave a PRC flag around here, you know? What do you mean, PRC flag around here? Hey, hey. Hey, uh, what kind of Chinese Chinese are you, huh? PRC? Huh? Taiwan? Pro-Taiwan? Uh, Richmond District? Huh? Oakland Hill, what? Hello, Film listeners. Welcome to episode 45 of Film, where we all get together to talk about movies and TV. I'm one of your co-hosts, Richie, and here are my co-hosts. Kevin. Tyler. Patrick. Welcome back, everyone. Um, yeah, let's, let's talk about, uh, what we've been up to, uh, and what we've been watching. Uh, Kevin, you said before we started recording that you watched Drive My Car recently? Yes, I, um, I saw it, I want to say on Mon- yeah, on Monday, and it was just such an incredible experience, like, I I felt like I I had that typical um experience where you're like oh it's like almost like a dreamlike viewing experience where you're inside of this dark cave and then you just see like this light being painted on the wall like that sort of thing cuz the the sheer length of the movie like it's it's around 3 hours and after a while like I I found myself um almost falling asleep at like different points in time. And then it made me think about like how, uh, people say like when cats like start to close their eyes around you and they're like lying down that it's like a great form of like trust because they, they believe that they're like safe in front of you. It lowers their, um, their, I guess their alertness. And it made me feel like that same way in a strange way. Like I felt really safe while watching the movie and like it was a friend like I was just in in like a friend's home and when I came out of uh, the theater it was just like the very bright sunny day and like it you know we got like spring coming in soon and it just really it, it gave like the rest of the day such a unique feeling and it it made me feel very content Uh, didn't you see it, Richie? Yeah. Uh, it's funny that you bring all that up because I, I watched it yesterday, which is like t- on a Tuesday. And I was pretty captivated by it. I didn't really know what to expect. I thought maybe the movie was just going to be about two people talking the whole time for like three hours in a car. Um, yeah, and... When I came out, it was very dark. It had just rained. 
And yeah, I was kind of at a loss for words. My mind was very jumbled. Even even while watching the movie, I was just reflecting on my own life and thinking about um, who I am as a person and, you know, do I have issues I need to resolve in my life? You know, that, that sort of thing. And um, yeah, I just love how this I love how introspective the movie is and I love how it made me have some introspection um, for my own life and thinking about yeah just thinking about so many things that I uh, I don't know <laughs> maybe maybe that it had that effect on you too oh absolutely um, this movie and the worst person in the world uh, those two movies, like I just constantly found myself comparing the two because I, I recently saw Worst Person in the World as well. And I, like in both instances, like at the tail end of it, it was so hard for me to like not like gloss over like every single like detail. Like it just felt like a huge wave had like crashed over me. And then like it usually goes like 12 hours later. I, I suddenly like have a thought that that makes me remember little bits and like tiny moments in the movie. And then I reflect back on like my own life where I've had similar moments like that. And both movies had me walking away feeling like I want to be a better version of myself. Like it was a another reaffirmation of that, of wanting to stay on like the path of virtue and like uh, benevolence and kindness towards others and everything like that while doing all that I can to make sure that I am taking care of myself because it's like if you aren't taking care of yourself then who's going to you know like and this movie uh drive my car there's so many beautiful conversations in it that it's it's people helping each other it's like that saying like people need other people um and yeah it's about like trusting other people with yeah, your absolutely. vulnerability mm -hmm. and uh, I don't know. yeah and Ooh. yeah i think that um it, it's really nice being able to like uh see instances on screen of like people lowering those walls in a very grounded way because you know like um, sometimes in media it can be like blown out to be like very fantastical and very uh, disconnected from reality and have like heightened sensations and um, dramatization which of course like this movie has but it's like it's just two people having a conversation <laughs> like yeah it, it doesn't have like flashy cinematography or like these bombastic performances you know like these characters feel like real human beings like you're actually seeing people talking and not acting yeah and uh one of some of my favorite uh moments that kept coming up in the movie is like uh the notion of truth and how um like they would they would just like make little comments to each other where uh it's like in typical conversations like people people uh, bring up the points of like interest by kind of like side skirting it rather than talking about it head on. And by not saying entirely what it is that they want to say, they just sit, 
give you like the briefest glimpse into like their true intentions. Whereas like this movie would have a blend of that, but then during moments of um, like pivotal moments in the movie, characters would find it within themselves to be honest with the other person, whether or not they're in the right or wrong. Like, cause to them it was their ultimate truth. And it's like, you could totally tell when somebody where somebody, where someone is coming at with their intentions. Like if you feel it through like intuition or anything like that and body language and everything like that. And I just thought that those moments were really, really beautiful. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I think that this movie had so much passion ingrained into it. And you see it through the the eyes of the characters and through their performances. And when, when characters are revealing, you know, secret moments from the past, um, it kind of makes you want to well up. I mean, I, yeah, I did. You know, I felt that was, it was like moments that were dark and very warm and empathetic. I was just thinking to myself like, wow, how can I be more like this in my own life? You know, towards like my friends or towards my family. Um, and it got me thinking like, yeah, I'm so happy that this movie's getting notoriety now. It's got nominated for uh, best, I think best picture and best international feature for, uh, at the Oscars coming up this year. But it made me upset because like, how can this movie be nominated for those awards, be nominated for adapted screenplay, but then none of the acting nominations, it just really baffles me because it happened to Parasite. Um, it's like, why, why do people sleep uh, on the actors in these films? Is it only because it's international? Like, yeah, it just got me just a little upset because it's like, man, I, I really love the... Um, the performances in this movie, uh, especially from uh, the the lead actor um, and and one of the supporting actors, I think his name is uh, Misaki uh, Okada. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the uh, one of the actors, like the actors within the play. Uh, the, uh, I know, I know. I think you know what I'm talking about. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I love Masaki Okada's performance and uh, Hideo Toshi Ishijima, uh, the lead actor in the film, and Toko Mirora the, as the as the driver. Oh man, yeah, I just have to give them a shout out because, like, you know, somebody has to, right? So, um, yeah, and this is my first uh, uh, Ryusuke uh, Hamaguchi movie, and I want to check out his other work. Um, I know he did Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. I really want to see that one. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm uh, yeah. I'm glad you saw it, and I'm really happy that I saw it too. So, it has such similarities to the movie that we're going to talk about later. And um, yeah, what about uh, what about you guys, Pat, Tyler? Um, have you guys been watching anything? Oh, you go. I haven't watched much at all. Dude, same. Honestly, I really haven't since the last few. I, I haven't been uh, watching much. I did watch, I guess, I don't know if this really counts, but I watched like the this Netflix documentary 
It's called like Crime and Penalties, and it's about this hockey team that uh, basically this like uh, mafia guy bought. He bought. He buys this minor league hockey team for his 17 year old son, and he owns like waste business and stuff. And they basically like possibly made based Tony Soprano off of off of this guy in The Sopranos. Oh, whoa! But yeah, it's really it's a it's a cool, interesting documentary. Oh, it's a it's a movie, right? No, it's a it's a it's a documentary. Oh no, I mean like a it's not like an eight episode series. Oh yeah, yeah, it's just like a yeah, it's like an hour to hour. Oh, okay. But I'm like totally sold on Drive My Car. I want to watch that. I'm like, can I? I can you watch it on uh, at home or is it only in theaters? It's, right it's in theaters right now. I think it's coming to HBO uh, Max though. Oh, okay. I would love to watch it again. Well, I want to watch uh, something new. I was thinking of watching a movie after after the pod tonight. I I recommend it. Yeah. Um, a little quick aside about that about driving my car is that after seeing it i went to go um hang out with my brother and my cousin for uh for my brother's birthday and i told them like yeah i went i just finished watching drive my car it's a three-hour movie and they're like oh my gosh that's so long or are they just in the car the whole time and i'm like no actually they're not but um it's still a great film to watch if you're not expecting too much to go on and then after that, I was like, oh, yeah, by the way, the new Batman movie that's coming out is three hours long. And then my cousin's reaction was like, she was so enthused. She's like, oh, my gosh, it's going to be three hours. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> your reaction was way different than when I brought up Drive My Car. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, what if the Batman movie was him in the Batman, Batman mobile, like for three hours, <laughs> just riding around Gotham? <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say I never I, I don't think I've heard of Drive My Car unless it was from you two. So yeah, it's it's a blip on my radar, but now it's have it has more of my attention. And then yeah, I've heard about <laughs> Batman probably five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh yeah, because I mean I've been disappointed by a long Batman movie before, The Dark Knight Rises. So like I'm not trying to hold high expectations for the new one. But I I definitely recommend watching Drive My Car if you're in the mood for um, almost like a meditative experience. Just like if you're in the mood to maybe even <laughs> cry and have like a bit of catharsis. And, you know, if you need that, definitely watch it. It's very warm and welcoming and just feels like a friend. You're just hanging out with a friend for three hours. I need someone to root for this Oscars. So I'll put that on my radar. <laughs> you don't want to root for movies like, I don't know, Belfast or something or. See, what's Belfast? Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a uh, what's his name? Um, Kenneth Branagh's uh, new film. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I think it's a black and white film. Like there's Nightmare Alley, you know, they look up Dune. Yeah, I haven't seen Dune or Nightmare Alley. I think I'm too cynical now. I I don't know why. Maybe something's wrong with me. But yeah, I think all those are not appeasing. 
Except for the ones <laughs> I don't know anything about, like Belfast. Like, oh, that, maybe that is interesting. Nightmare Alley, I kind of checked out on immediately. And then same with Dune. Dune was, Knight, Dune was I've never seen cool. the Green Knight still. I don't know. I've been watching 80s anime. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> I I started Space Runaway Edeon. Uh yeah, there's some already there's some anti-war stuff already. There's some hyper gore they're sneaking in there. Uh it looks like it's gonna be fun. It looks like it's going to be a good anti-war ride, which is something I think I need right now. I've been um, watching this one show called uh, Joe Para Talks With You hey. on uh, HBO Max. It's from Adult Swim originally, I think, and uh, mm -hmm. it's just from the brief uh, summary on Wikipedia, it says... Uh, Joe Para lives in Michigan's Upper Peninsula uh, while teaching choir at a local middle school. He attempts to talk directly to the audience about mundane subject matters such as iron, Sunday breakfast, uh, fall drives, and sleeping. And uh, the, each episode's like 10 minutes, but he talks about like different subjects, and it is unexpectedly and disarmingly wholesome. And... I'm really enjoying it. His voice is very soothing to me. And uh, that's something that I've been... Uh, I don't know. I'm on that kind of kick lately. I'm just like mm -hmm. watching stuff that makes me feel nice. Because there's so much... So much bad stuff going on right now. <laughs> stressful things. And uh, it can be a lot to, to deal with. Uh, some, some movies that I'm excited... Uh, coming out soon are uh, is it You Won't Be Alone I think uh, this one looks pretty interesting to me um, it says set an isolated mountain village in 19th century Macedonia You Won't Be Alone follows a young girl who was kidnapped and then transformed into a witch by an ancient spirit curious about life as a human the young witch accidentally kills a peasant in the nearby village and then takes her victim's shape to live life in her skin. Her curiosity ignited, she continues to wield this horrific power in order to understand what it means to be human. Uh, it's coming to theaters soon, I want to say in April, but I get a lot of uh, under-the-skin vibes, as well as... Um, shoot. Now, that's that's the main vibe that I'm getting from it. But, oh, that uh, sounds interesting. It's a, a horror movie? I think so. Yeah, it's a foreign <laughs> horror movie. I like the Macedonia setting. That's how. That's 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 not a rich vein. So I'm <laughs> eager for that. <laughs> not a rich. It, that's not a. That's not treaded ground. I feel a mm -hmm. lot. Like it was a, some like it was like World War Two. There's a billion movies about that. Macedonia. God, I barely know anything about Macedonia. Right. And then a. Uh... Celine Shiyama's uh, movie, new movies coming out too, Petite Momo. Yeah, so things are looking up in the movie world. That one sounded sick until you mentioned Macedonian horror. 
<laughs> I shouldn't have brought that up. <laughs> well, it's a coming of age. <laughs> Should have done my evil laugh. <laughs> and then you're like, no, Tyler, we can all watch it. So it's about her finding herself, you know, staying true to her form. <laughs> I'm excited for the Northmen. Oh, yes. Hey, that's kind of a horror movie. I didn't realize it was it. I forget. Maybe it was us that we were talking about. It. I didn't realize that. I thought it was a. Uh, that was a twenty-four. Yeah. Yeah. Focus features film. Uh, I think it's because Rob. I think what Robert Eggers. Yeah, I think yeah. he. He's like a free agent. He was like, "Oh, Focus Features wants me to do a film for them," so he just branched off. And you know, the he's Lighthouse A twenty four. The Lighthouse was A twenty four, right? Or no? yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean. But yeah, I'm super yeah. hyped for for the Northman. Oh yeah, that's also coming out in April. Yeah, yeah, we got some good movies coming out this year. You know, hopefully they're good movies. We got some some to look forward to in the coming weeks to to get us by. Um, I mean, Uncharted came out. I mean, no one's interested in watching uh, watching that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe we all like video games and movies. Video game movies. I don't know. I it's hard for me to even think about uh, <laughs> solid video game adaptations. I know that there's probably like one or two that I really enjoyed, but um, aside from that, it's like. Uh, I think the last video game movie I saw was the Mortal Kombat reboot. Ooh, that was, that was brutal. <laughs> <laughs> what about what about uh, Doom? Remember Doom, like with the oh, it's with the, the, the rock. rock. Was the Rock in that? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it was It was. It wasn't that bad, actually. There's a Netflix series too, I think, where there's zombies on <gasps> Mars. Oh, and there's a Halo series coming out. Oh yeah, that's what I was about to mention. Oh yeah, second. I don't know how series. I feel about that. I mean, like it, looks, it looks like it can be sick, but like, I don't uh, know. I like the guy from The Wire. He plays Master Chief, so I'm like, all right, uh, I'll take it. Um, I forgot to mention I did watch a movie that was kind of based off a video game called Werewolves Within. Uh, I saw it on Showtime. It has the actress from the T-Mobile commercials, Milana Valentrub. Um, She was pretty good in it. I did not know that she was going to be in this movie. And I Googled it. I was like, oh, wow, I'm far more interested now. It's a like murder mystery film uh, directed by Josh Rubin. And yeah, I used to really like Josh Rubin's work as an actor in, in uh, his College Humor skit days. I don't know if you guys ever watched College Humor, um, but I used to watch a lot of that like t like 10 years ago. Um, yeah, it's like a whodunit murder mystery. It's really funny. It has uh, Sam Richardson. I think he's known as a comedian. He's pretty good in it. He's very charming in the lead. Milana Valentrube was really great. Um, I would want to see her in more 
films and uh yeah and oh and and the actor from barry uh tyler um he played one of he played like the mob boss or something uh oh, he's yeah. in the film as well yeah um yeah so some pretty notable faces that i enjoyed it's a solid film if you want something like yeah kind of campy uh with some horror and comedic elements it's really it's pretty funny wacky characters and yeah and you want to like figure out who the killer is it's a solid movie to watch i already figured out who the killer was by like like by the i don't know second attack in the movie and i'm like i know who it is i can guess now and i was right <laughs> so um yeah uh, i guess a video game movie ish adaptation that is pretty solid But uh, with that being said, you guys want to talk about the movie today that we are going to discuss. Um, I picked today's movie. It is from Wayne Wang and his directional debut called Chan is Missing from 1982. And it is about two cabbies uh, that search around San Francisco's Chinatown for a mysterious character who has disappeared with their $4,000. Um, and it leads them on a humorous journey which illuminates the many problems experienced by Chinese Americans trying to assimilate into contemporary American society. So, uh, yeah, uh, before I picked this film, I actually had no idea that I was going to pick this film. <laughs> I had uh, kind of a hard time deciding what to watch. And, you know, I was thinking like, oh, should we watch something much zanier? Maybe watch 21 Jump Street or I don't know. Should we watch Brotherhood of the Wolf? But then I was like, I don't want to make you guys sit through like over two hours of, of that. I haven't seen it yet, but. I was like, ah, maybe something shorter, but still funny. So I landed on Chan is Missing. And I think that it's really great timing because, uh, yeah, I, I, I myself just celebrated the Lunar New Year recently. So I love the fact that the movie, you know, references that because that's a part of uh, Chinese culture. Although I'm not Chinese, um, a part of my culture is to celebrate that too. And... Yeah, I, I just love films like this, which is a rarity that I myself can specifically relate to. And it's so funny. I just love some of the kooky characters in this one. Uh, what are you guys' thoughts? It's a... Uh, I really like the... Uh, I keep falling back on this maybe, but it's like a very near realism. I love the we're in the city feel, we're in the community feel. The film achieves. Uh, I do like some of the characters. Uh, some of the characters, uh, maybe it's not the characters, maybe it's the acting. That's like a feels like a, another aspect of the new, the neo realism nature of it, where it feels like those are all a lot of the people are just people from the area who are asked yeah. to be in the film, which yeah, it's 
can't really knock the actors for that because they're not right. professional. They're just people, which is the <laughs> point of the film. I believe it was made uh, on a $20,000 budget. So it's very, yeah, independent cinema at its finest. <laughs> I like the themes they touch on with the, uh, the Asian American experience. As well as the, the, uh, the, what's the word? The geopolitical nature of the Asian sphere on that continent, especially in the 80s when everything was so crazy. And yeah, it's good. It's, I think we were all born after that era. So yeah, it's a, it's a good window into that, that psyche, that presence of mind, that time in history. And then, uh, yeah, there's uh, one character in particular I really liked, but I'll get to him <laughs> when we get to him. <laughs> I really enjoyed the the variety of tones in this movie. It was uh, like part mystery, part exploration of this very tight knit community. Uh, there were a lot of uh wacky interactions that were very memorable and i love how they gave each of the characters no matter how small or no matter how short their uh, screen time was they gave them their fair due of uh, showcasing them and making them feel like a larger than life character uh the soundtrack was really great i loved how every part of this movie was just so of its time and I'm finding that that's a quality that I'm starting to really appreciate more and more as I get older is uh, watching movies that showcase the time period that they're in. Like it's almost like a time cap time capsule where it's not just about the narrative, like it's about like the entire world that, you know, uh, that that narrative exists in. And it has like such a nice balance of... Um, driving the story forward while also exploring every person, every small location that they go to. Um, and I found uh, this movie was, um, it was making me feel like a bit nostalgic in a way too. Uh, Cause it, it made me like think back to how I used to live in the Bay area and it has like, there's just something so like homely about that area to me whenever I think back on it and to catch a glimpse of what it was like during the 80s when my when my mom and like when her sisters and uh, my dad and his family like where they were all just walking those streets. And it's like it, they could have easily been like an extra in the background or something like that. And it just it made it feel all the more sentimental to me. Cause it's like, oh, like this movie was just 40 years ago, but it just feels like so fresh and so timeless in a way. And I, I just really enjoyed the timelessness of it, even though it deals with a very specific period in American history, uh, along with, uh, the, with people like assimilating into this strange culture while also trying to hold on to that which they already know or creating like a new sense of identity with it yeah i i really enjoyed this pick though 
Yeah, same. I really uh, enjoyed this movie too. Um, I think like Kevin, I think you say this a lot. I'll like about certain movies. Like when I was watching it, I felt like, uh, like you say, like a lot of love. You can tell a lot of love went into it. Um, that's how I felt when watching this. Just like I really enjoyed the, like the bond between the two. Thank you for picking it, Richie. No problem. I'm, I'm glad you guys seem to have enjoyed it. Uh, as usual, I, I tried to pick films that I myself haven't watched. And maybe even pick a film that nobody else has watched. Just to, you know, just so we all have like very fresh perspectives on this. And um, yeah, I... I feel like you guys are kind of getting a glimpse of even like my own life in a way because there are a lot of yeah there are a lot of situations in this movie where I totally relate like 100% I still relate to this day like even though this film came out 40 years ago I still feel you know I still feel in a way like othered <laughs> is that weird for me to say to you guys no no, yeah, I agree. There's like that quote when he says, uh, I think it's at the beginning, and I think it's Steve. Mm-hmm. Where he's like, oh no, it's not Steve. It's the guy, it's Joe? the cook. It's the cook, oh, right? Oh, um, is Henry. Yeah, mm-hmm. when they're like on top of the building. And he's like, we've been here for a hundred years, and you're st- we're still foreigners or whatever. Right. And it's like, damn, I feel like it's, yeah, I mean, it's sad to say, but yeah probably like it's definitely a lot of people treat it the same today it's like damn it was like a shot to the heart i'm like man you're speaking my words right now (laughs) yeah no that was such a terrific speech that we'll probably get in more in detail in a bit um yeah there's a lot of lines like just see like even the differences between like um our own native tongue and the english language and how um, we interpret things differently, even senses of humor. And uh, it got me thinking about how I even communicate with my own family as opposed to like when I communicate outside of that. It's kind of a, it almost feels kind of a, like a, a lonely experience because uh, when I try to seek out films like this, when I'm on like, you know, uh, Facebook or other forums, I would ask people, Hey, you know, like what are some Asian American films you guys can recommend or like, you know, under the radar, like, you know, Asian American, like I need some of that. Cause that's, that's who I relate to. And a lot of people, I, I got a little bit of a flack because people are like, well, why, why are you zeroing in on Asian American films that there, there's plenty of Asian films, like plenty of films in Korea and Japan and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, I think I made it pretty clear that, you know, I wanted to see Asian American films because I think it's important to d- distinguish that experience, that the Asian experience and the Asian American experience are two separate things. And I love that this film talks a bit about that. I love that there is some... Pat uh, brought up earlier this geopolitical uh, climate that's going on even within our own communities. Um, Being that I'm Vietnamese, you know, my family came from 
from the south we came very poorly as well like my grandpa came from a boat and you know people that came from different areas or further or you know they're much more well off they came from jets you know they came from planes <clears throat> those are the much more rich people and even so people within our own community would call them fobs you know fobs like oh he's such a fob which is like supposed to be derogatory for like oh they came from overseas and they can't speak great english and blah 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 like um yeah the uh yeah, it feels kind of cathartic that I get to share this with you guys because I don't really much get to, I guess, express my own like upbringing. And um, yeah, I can get more into that. So let's just like get into ratings because I want to share more with you guys. So um, I want to rate this film a 4.75 out of 5. That's... It's pretty much near perfect for me. Uh, I'll probably have to rewatch it again. Uh, I already want to rewatch it again, but um, yeah, I just love I loved uh, our two main leads, Joe and Steve, played by uh, Wood Moy and Mark Hayashi. They're so great. I don't know why I've never really seen them in films before. It sucks that uh, when I look them up, like this is the film that marks. Uh, their uh film history like that marks them as like you know it marks it as like their most popular to date and it's just like dang you know this came out 40 years ago like i'm so sad that they didn't take off from there and um and i know that wayne wang this was his directional debut when he was around 31 and he got to do the joy uh, joy luck club so at least he got to do that such a great movie as well um yeah, this film, I love the noir elements. I love the mystery. And, like, it's engrossing. Like, I really wanted to know where Chan is, you know? Uh, they did such a great job of painting a portrait of this mysterious character and um, and how so many people had different versions of him and uh, how contradictory it felt at times and how it really felt like maybe nobody really knew him. And yeah, it just tied to, back to my experience with Drive My Car because that is a film about finding your truth and finding your identity. And this film is about finding the true identity of a man who's gone missing, but also like these two men who are kind of wandering around San Francisco, almost in search of themselves. Maybe one person doesn't really care to fit and another person kind of does. And that's something that I, I, I struggle with even to this day. Um, yeah, that's my rating. Yeah, I think you, uh, I'll probably, I'll give it a 4.5 out of 5. I think you touched on pretty much everything that I liked about it too, like the, uh, I like the like the old school mindset versus Steve's new new school mindset and that that uh battle and parallel. And yeah, I just enjoyed this movie. Even like the cinematography I thought was really well done. Um, especially just capturing San Francisco, like it's cool. Especially if you've been somewhere 
like obviously we've all been to san francisco um i think it's just like they captured it really well and there's a lot of shots like i love shots the the beginning shot of you know he's just driving the taxi through the through the city and you see the reflections off the off the dashboard and there's that like that white pane on the left and then the dark pane on the right and then you finally see like his uh his face revealed and i kind of i like that parallel from the end of the, the ending of the movie which we'll talk about later I'm going to give this movie a four out of five. Uh, it really drew me in from the very get go. Uh, Tyler, like that point you made where like you got like, what was it like halfway through? Then you're like, oh, like I didn't even realize it was like shot in black and white. Like I, I felt that same exact way, like watching this movie. Like I immediately forgot that I was like sitting on my couch, in my living room on a Wednesday evening watching this movie, uh, I was just like immediately hooked with, um, so many of the conversations, like from the very get go, like there's a, a conversation between, uh, like a lawyer of some sort, uh, who specializes in, uh, in Chinese culture when representing people in court and stuff and they were explaining like the differences of in grammar oh um, my god kevin <laughs> yeah i like, love that scene yeah. that's my favorite scene because yeah, i relate that, so hard that one really solidified it for me from the very get-go and that's like within like the first 15 minutes of the movie and this movie is not that long either and that's one thing i really appreciated about it is that it didn't really overstay its welcome because sometimes a lot of movies can or just media in general can be can be that way at times but this movie was only like an hour and 15 minutes so very very short watch and very tight-knit when it comes to pacing and it felt a bit kafka-esque in how you know it's like are we ever going to find out who this person is or is that sort of the point like is that journey of trying to discover this this uh, very secretive and uh, nuanced character who is who has like a sort of like mythos to them. Like the more and more the movie goes on, it's like, oh, wait, I thought that Chan had like this sort of like personality trait. Oh, no, Chan was known as this uh, because he carried this in his pocket, like that sort of thing. It was all just very contradictory in nature and it like the the elements of a noir were brought were brought up earlier and that's like one of the most common tropes in in noir films is uh subversion when it comes to you know finding out the who done it type thing which this movie definitely has that ingrained into it and i found myself really enjoying the dynamics between joe and steve the most because you have joe who is carrying on like some of the older traditions of like um, of the older generation of uh, Chinese Americans, whereas Steve has this sort of a uh, attitude where he's like, oh, you know, I'm trying to, you know, be ingrained with the culture here. I don't really care about like identity when you can clearly tell that each person 
is just trying to figure themselves out. And then you could even see it with like some of the younger generation too, where they're just like so distanced from their uh, elder, from their elders culture. And I feel like that sort of thing is, is more commonplace than we like to imagine. Like, I know for me, I'm, I'm very disconnected from my cultural roots when it comes to like my, you know, family on my uh, father's side and my mom's side, like, I don't have any sort of inclination of what my culture is like and any sort of traditions that are tied to it other than, you know, uh, California <laughs> and culture and ethics and everything like that. Um, so I, I felt, I thought that this was like a very nuanced take on identity and what it means to try to hold on to that which makes us special while moving forward. And I really enjoyed the humor of this and the little side bits where you interact with a character and then you have like this full on memorable scene. It's like one of those movies that you keep coming back to and then you're like, oh yeah, there's that one scene of this person, you know, meeting up with them at like the, the, the dance shop and like that, that sort of thing. And it has like a very cult like quality to it, which I, I find myself really appreciating. Um, yeah, I, th I think that this is a very important movie uh, just because it captures a lot of historical details of that time and era. And I feel like it's important to hold on to that because, you know, like Richie brought up that point of like um, where you reached out to that group and were asking about specific like American, American uh, Asian movies, because that's an entirely different thing from Asian cinema. Um, even Asian right. cinema is just so broad. I mean, you have like, there's so many different countries that, that make up that entire blanket genre. Whereas like American Asian cinema is focused on the blending of like various cultures uh, in a very short amount of time. Because there's that, uh, someone brought it up earlier where uh, they were saying how like, oh, we've been here for like a over a hundred years and we're still treated like, like an other in a way. It's like, yeah, it's a very, it's a very sad experience when it comes to that, because it's like America's so rooted in racism and discrimination. And it's like the, when it comes to Asian culture in America, it's like so marginalized, just like every other sort of, uh, uh, culture that we have within us other than, you know, <laughs> typical American stuff. Um, yeah, let's monetize, uh, that culture's food. Yeah, exactly. that's how i feel like that's how it is <laughs> exactly it's like oh well we enjoy this we're we're gonna allow it to exist and, it's like, oh uh, you're vietnamese dude i love uh yeah <laughs> you know that sort of thing <laughs> yeah and like i i thought that um yeah there's that brilliant scene which i'm sure we'll talk about in just a sec but it really brought that sort of treatment to light and I don't know. I think for anyone who wants to be more socially conscious of others, or just anyone uh, in this day and age, should definitely check this movie out. It's a very short watch, like I said, and it reels you right in from the very get-go. I'm gonna give it a 4 out of 5. I really enjoyed certain characters. I enjoyed the conversations and the uh, 
like I already referenced the geopolitical stuff. Uh, my only big critique or critique even is probably just the the neo-noir or the noir aspect. Uh, didn't really land. I know there's it felt like there was no real stakes. But that's part of like the neo-noir or it could be a deconstructing element of like, yeah, the stakes are either the four thousand dollars or Chan's involvement in a shooting or crime and his whereabouts. And yeah. But yeah, that felt like a very secondary to the conversations and the experiences in the two. You know, the. the Just the, 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 the exploration the film was doing, it felt like that was added, as, not added, but that felt like the through line to carry us to those scenes instead of the scenes being directly, directly interconnected, maybe. I don't know, the connection maybe felt. I don't know what the word is. Maybe it's just the acting that made it feel that way. But there's some there's there's some characters who I absolutely adore. And it's my and this one character I want to talk about specifically makes the movie. Oh, can't wait makes, to hear who it is. I hope it's not Chan. Not, not no, it's not <laughs> not makes the movie, but he uh he's my he, like he, he elevates the movie so much. That without this one actor and this one character, I think the movie would be a lot worse off. But yeah, I, I I appreciate and I enjoy what the film's going for. It's just that one thing felt like if there's only one criticism to give it, it's the, the limited budget, which is out of their control. And uh, just the maybe that one aspect of the through line of the narrative. Aside from that, it was a great exploration that uh, was ahead of its time. And especially in the 80s when everything was so crazy, it's such a grounded emotional journey or self-reflective journey, which the nation was not doing at all at that time. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, with that being said, let's segue into our spoiler discussion. You have to identify with the 900 million Chinese in China. Then you have you have some some meaning there. Well, but you know there are you know we're Chinese here too. There are a lot of Chinese young Chinese. You and you know say there, say 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 me, boy. They just put you down there. You are a foreigner here. You know that. You don't belong here. People consider you a foreigner. You you were born here, right? It's Fu Zheng. A B A B C. A B and C. You they be secret? Anybody down 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 me, whatever? They still consider you as a friend. Yeah, I know, but you know, here, right here, we have to do something. We have to fight. Fight. Fight for what? Fight for recognition. You know how long we've been here? We've been here for 100 years. 100 years, and then we have 50,000 Chinese here. Half a million Chinese, 100 years. If they don't recognize us, they don't want to recognize us, and they will not recognize us. You know what I mean? You only live once, so we should do something more more significant. How's that, eh? First and foremost, uh, I'm grateful that you guys watched this film. I'm, 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 I'm even just, I'm just glad that like we have this podcast so we can show each other these types of films. And in a way, like this film almost felt personal to me now. Like after finishing it and watching it, like even though it's not 100% my own experience, like the Vietnamese American experience, I still 
feel ingrained in this culture. Just because I I grew up with a lot of Chinese friends, Vietnamese friends, like lots of different kinds of people, and、um, I understood some of the references. You know, they spoke about mahjong.、Uh, they spoke about like、um, like the Chinese woke joke and Samurai Night Fever and whatnot. Like the, the different like versions of these TV shows or songs. Like I grew up on. You know, some Vietnamese artists <laughs> like doing covers of like popular songs, and that's how I got into them. <laughs> you know, like Vietnamese boy bands doing like their in sync version or something. Like that's how I grew up because like my family would listen to that, and my family still listens to like a lot of、um, Vietnamese media while they're still here. You know, they don't listen to like Fox or CNN or anything like that.、Um, <clears throat> So、uh, it's refreshing, like just from when they first started talking, like in the kitchen with Joe and Steve, and、um, I believe it was Amy. I think it's that Steve's sister, maybe. And yeah, when they just started talking, I'm just like, wow, you know, it's it, it's just it's, it feels very shitty. Like it has, I have a very shitty feeling in me whenever I see Asian. American or Asian characters on screen, and they're about to speak English. I'm I'm just half expecting someone doing some stereotype or mocking or some kind of accent, because, um, yeah, that's kind of like I don't know. It almost feels embedded in me, because、uh, I know this film wasn't even that far removed from、uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's. Um, I mean, that was like what twenty. Yeah, like two decades later, and、um, but even then, like there was still, you know, it's still hard for Asian American actors to get roles, and I'm sure they could have casted someone back then. I mean, you know, they like like they mentioned in the film, hey, we've been here for over a hundred years. You know, it's not that like we aren't seen; it's just that they don't want to see us. And I, I felt like those. Were just honest words, like even in twenty twenty two, like I still feel that way. And Kevin, you brought up that scene about the lawyer who、uh, was talking about the report that she received from、um, from Chan Chan Hung and his like his car accident. Uh, man, like the way I grew up, like I totally relate to the way he communicates. When someone asks you a question, you know, like for instance, like if someone said, "Hey, Richie, you don't want to go to the movie theaters, right?" And then the,、uh, the kid version of me would be like, "Yes, yes, I don't want to go," or like I don't know how to explain it. Like I would, I would. You know, like if I were to say no, it means a different version of what maybe what you guys are thinking. And I don't know if it's because like I grew up with like Vietnamese language, or like it's just the way like my brain works or wired. I, I used to get really confused when people ask questions like that because I wouldn't know how to answer. Like I would have to like clarify more so than I should. And I thought that scene was just so funny. 
I just love that they poke fun at that, but also explain the nuance and like have an honest discussion of like how some of us are wired and why like we interpret certain situations the way that we do. And um, yeah, and I, re I really love um, Wood Moy as pretty much the lead in this film and and uh, Mark Hayashi as his nephew Steve. Like I was like, man, these guys are like they're so charming. Like I love I love their um, their presence in the film. Like it's it's easy for me to to uh, get invested. Who is your favorite character, Pat? I want to see if I if I get my guess right. What's your guess? Ah, oh, I don't want to tell. I want. I want to hear you say it for. <laughs> <laughs> is it Henry the Cook? It's no, Henry. Okay, damn it! I was gonna say I was like, okay, it's Steve or Henry, and then I was like, I was gonna say Steve. No, it's Henry. Henry has it all figured out. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Sam I love Ryan. his his uh what does he say? He's like next time people want to order wonton soup, I'm gonna say we have wonton soup backwards, not now. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> because I used to work at a restaurant myself, and that looks just like that that setting. And when we when we get orders like that, like the cook is always just like roll his eyes, like, oh really? They're gonna order wonton soup? Like, come on, where'd you come here for? You know, just for that. Yeah. Yeah, I love Henry's. Uh, yeah, he, he's kind of like a Chan in the way that we're people reference him by his uh, sa Samurai Night Fever shirt. <laughs> yeah. And he just wears because he's working at the walk all night or in, in the restaurant getting it dirty. I'm like, oh, he only wears that one shirt. And then he's talking. He's like, yeah, I, I was a. Uh, the aeronautical aeronautical engineer mm -hmm. with Chan. He's oh, you know, Chan was number one in the class. I was forty fifth of forty six. <laughs> and then later on, he meets up the I think it's Joe again, and like he's in his suit. Like this is his, this is his normal clothes, and he looks like a completely different person. He's in nice clothes. He cares about his presentation. It's just in that environment, he doesn't care. And yeah, he just drops what I feel like is the maybe it's just because it relates to me the most personally. But yeah, the wisdom he drops really resonated with me. Of like uh, a critique of the American system and even the critique of like not a critique, but he's like, I don't know, it feels like he's made his peace or he's accepted it. And he's like, oh, like, you know, the desire to conform to the system. And he's like, oh, it's like the system itself is alienation. There's nothing to conform to. It's like, uh, yeah, I felt like his thing about it was really good. Or like, they don't want it. It's not going to happen. It's been 100 years. Like you can only be yourself. You can only be the life you have. Yeah, that his speech was really, really hurtful, but super honest. Because even now, like, that speech still resonates today. So... I agree. He is like one of the best characters, in my opinion, in the film. <clears throat> like every scene that he shows up in, he's like a scene stealer. Yeah, like, where'd this guy come from?
I uh, uh. I really enjoyed the aside from Henry, of course. Like I I love how like from like within the first two minutes we like know who he is as just a person, or uh, like we get we get like a very uh, well defined look at him, especially when he's like you could just tell that he's like tired. And just mm. so jaded, but he's like still drinking his milk, <laughs> like all these other different like unique characteristics. Uh, there's a one character I can't remember their name, but uh, it's when uh, Joe and Steve go down to like this this uh Spanish or this Hispanic um. Elder? Are you talking about Presco? Is is that what it's called or? No, no, uh, the character's name. Oh, that, was that the character, the younger, the younger one? He had like a uh, mustache, right, or something. I, I don't remember. Um, I think his name is Presco or something. Or is that who you're talking about? Possibly uh, referring not, to? Possibly. Um, it's it's when they're going to like investigate like Chan, of course, but then uh, they find out that his jacket was placed there. Oh yeah, yeah, and he's talking about the puddle, right? The puddle yes. story. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that was Presco. Yeah. I love that entire motif because like the entire time, like. The guy was, I mean, in the beginning, the guy was kind of getting on my nerves because uh, the the elderly one comes in and he's like, no, no, no. Like, I just saw him the other week. Like, he said that he was going to go back for this. And then he's like, oh, no. The younger one was was like discounting him and be like, oh, no, no, no. Oh, wait. But, you know, like, like sort of like adding just a bunch of confusing, contradictory statements to like throw them off without even meaning to. But then like there's that brilliant moment at the end of that scene where he's like talking about the puddle. And how, um, you know, there's that one character who, like, just lost their entire ability to perform music. And uh, they were, like, walking down the street. And then, uh, like, they were asked, like, oh, well, like, the only way that or who, who do you think can help you? And he, like, looks down at the puddle and he's like, that person there. And it's like that entire statement makes the movie for me because it's like that's what it's ultimately about. It's. It's about like everyone having to be content with the mysteries of life and not having an answer to them, you know, because it's like it's both there and it's not there. Uh, the idea of it is there, but is it there in reality? Is it tangible? Is there any substance to it? It's like those are all of our projections and our own our own uh, formulations of it, you know, and I feel like that it that reminds me a lot of uh, Drive My Car as well, because it's like it's all whatever meaning you put into the statement and like how how you put it in there as well. That matters most because it's like truth is so elusive, you know. And, it, and I really enjoyed like their their um, distinguishing nature of like uh, like going back to that one scene where uh, the person's like recounting Chan's interaction with the cop and they were saying, oh, well, you know, in Asian culture, uh, you, they, they approach conversations with themselves and the other, and then the object of the conversation. It's not just all just a strict grammar exercise of like pronouncing things properly and making sure that they're in the right place. It's like, no, they, it's like a very... I just like the whole idea of that type of mindset and like approaching like yourself as like a singular person and the other person as like an equal in a way and then approaching this thing that's bringing you two together. 
Like, I don't know. I just really enjoyed that aspect of it, too. <laughs> yeah, I agree. That quote, um, I think after that, too, the younger guy says to them, he's like, why don't uh, you're looking for him? Like, why don't you look in the puddle? Um, and then from that point, I think Joe, like, he starts to, you know, reflect on Chan, like, as himself and, like, the similarities that all these people are saying and, you know, like, his struggles with assimilating into America and stuff. Um, yeah, even though he was, like, born and raised there, that's kind of crazy, right? Yeah, like, I think it's... I think it's cool or, like, earlier when I was talking about, um, this is just like a random, I don't know, like theory that came to my head, I guess. It's like he, from that point, he starts like looking in the puddle and I guess like realizing, realizing this, that he hasn't, I don't know, or that he struggles with this. And like in the beginning, you can see like the white pain and then the dark pain, and then like his face gets revealed. Whereas at the end, Chan, uh, you know, is missing or whatever. You can't really see him. Whereas Joe is in the picture and he's like in the, in the white and like his face is defined and you can see everything. So it's like, mm. is it like that he, I don't know, has came to terms with it or like there's growth, growth from this adventure he's had searching for Chan. But I don't know. Yeah, I just think it's a cool, it's a cool little motif in the movie. Yeah, uh, it's not often like we really get a much older actor and character that we like can get behind, especially like an Asian American one. Um, because I believe like, I believe uh, Wood Moy was like 62, 63 when he took on this role. So like, yeah, he gives such a like an endearing performance um i love all the like close-up shots that they have of him when he's like laughing or smiling at someone's like jokes or like sharp dialogue um yeah just him paired with steve it's such a great like dichotomy between the two like you mentioned earlier tyler with like the new school and the old school and like getting their perspectives on life like you know he's supposed to be the older wiser uncle and he's like the the hot shot like uh nephew like the wise talking wise cracking one um yeah i i really i, re I really wished we got more of the lawyer character because she was one of my favorites like uh she pretty much had like this very long like two minute monologue that just like blew me away i'm like wow like that yeah that was such an incredible scene and it was so funny and like their expressions throughout was like so funny like <laughs> um just her delivery was incredible like it was really great so uh, i have to give a shout out to uh judy Nahay for her performance and that even though it's for one scene um and yeah another scene i want to talk about is when steve mentioned that story 
about the Tuesday before Christmas, in which uh, Chan received a compliment from Joe about his jacket or something like that, and he took it off and he tried to give it to him, he, like forced it upon him because of uh, uh, the flattery that he received, and Steve thought he could do the same, so he mentioned how he loved his pants. And Chan got all embarrassed about like wanting to like take off his pants. Like, I can't do that for you. Like, no, no, I'll, I'll never do that for you. And uh, it was later revealed that like Chan had a sense of humor that Steve didn't know about. And because of like maybe it's like the generational gap or like the language barrier or just, you know, uh, Steve just never interpreted that as like something that was humorous he thought maybe chan was stuck up or something but in reality like chan actually had a much more of a sense of humor than steve uh realized and it made me reflect on any times if i ever had any humor with like my grandparents and my parents and i don't know i want to ask you guys like have you guys ever like shared like a very personal, like such a great inside joke or like such a really great joke with like your parents or your grandparents that you just totally had a ball or totally laughed over something. Has anyone here had that? Hmm. Yeah, I think so. Especially when it comes to like blunders over the years. Mm hmm. <laughs> Tyler. Uh, Pat? Yeah, I would I would think I think so. Like I can't think of one off the top of that, my head, but I would say so too, like something like that or like maybe not like an inside joke, but like yeah, like something funny that we'll always <clears throat> look back on and talk about. Yeah, not not growing up, but once you're an adult, the dynamics change mm -hmm. enough. Or I think even last Christmas uh, with my MMA. She uh, she boasts about her. Like uh, she's she's not a victim of vices. She's like I only drink one glass, and I think uh, but uh, I think I made the joke that her glass was larger than anyone else's at the table when she's <laughs> boasting about having one glass of wine. <laughs> and she had a good laugh at that. Wow. Um. Yeah, I wanted to ask because, like, you know. In all my years of living, I actually never had anything like that. Like any kind of humorous moment with like my mom or dad or my grandparents. Like I just never had that. And I know that with like my grandparents, it's probably more of a language barrier and communication thing. And with my parents, like they were kind of, they were in and out of my life. So I never really had any like heartwarming or any like, I don't know, just... We never had any candid jokes or inside jokes with each other. And it made me sad because I'm just like, man, I felt like Steve at that moment. I'm like, huh, uh, maybe there's something that I wasn't getting, you know? And yeah, I want to share that with you guys because I, I don't think I've, yeah, I don't think I've ever experienced that before. But there are just a lot of things in this film that like, really really touched me because uh at least there there's this movie that like i can go to and refer to and say 
wow, yeah, that is my experience. But like, yeah, it's kind of hard for me to like share that or even just let alone bring it up, you know, and speaking it with you guys uh, is, is refreshing and, and cathartic. And I think I needed this <laughs> to talk to you guys about. <laughs> yeah, it's, and, um, yeah. It's uh, interesting because on like just a very basic form of like communicate where i guess like underlying form of communication like psychological uh level of it it's like you have like a younger because i mean you have uh steve and we have like no inclination or hardly any details regarding his his parents because joe is his uncle correct yes yeah and it's like the only parental figure that steve has in his life and we see that Steve doesn't have like a whole lot of friends or anything like that. And when he sees his uncle getting on with like another person, he wants to try and like replicate like that sort of affability that Joe has. Um, because like Joe is such like a positive figure in his life. Like why wouldn't he want to emulate some of his like positive qualities? And then like when that sort of joke goes over his head, he kind of gets upset by it. Like he's kind of a, uh, like he's been rejected in a way from um, that inner circle, uh, whether it's like an ageist thing or whether it's cultural differences or like you said, like the language barrier, something happens to where there's like a disconnect between the two. And I feel like with Steve's character, he's like just so lost in a way. Um, he's trying and I feel like he's at a stage where he's realized that he will always feel like sort of an outsider, but he just has to like accept the fact that that's his identity and that it's the the sum total of his identity is whatever he puts into himself as a person. And I really like the fact that he's sort of going his own way in this movie. Like you can tell that he's very different from from Joe and from everyone else that they interact with. And he's sort of like uh, jabbed at it a bit. You know, there's that one scene where um, Joe and Steve are going to visit with Chan's uh, children. I want a child, I want to say. And um, Steve's trying to be like affable once again, you know, like trying to show that he can like still connect with like kids and stuff by, you know, joking around and, and like they call him out on it, too. They're like, what do you what do you think you are? Like some sort of like Richard Pryor figure. And he sort of like hesitates in a way, too, because you could tell that like Clearly, that's like he he takes after like some of those traits of uh, the media that he consumed, and he's trying to like pass that on while still being like likable in a way. And then like at the end of it, he like it's like hey, you know, here's here's some money. Go get yourself like some ice cream cones. <laughs> they're like, what do you think we are, like children? I, was like, well, I don't know. I mean, I just Keep thought it'd be chain, like a nice bro. thing. <laughs> yeah, and um. I don't know. I think Steve's like a very fascinating character in this movie because he's just caught in like a cultural divide. Whereas like Joe is just trying to like still hold on to who he thought he was because it's like Chan is bringing up such a such a crisis within him. He's like, oh, well, am I am I Chinese enough or am I full on American? Like, I'd like to think that I have roots intact, but are they really as healthy as I expect them to be? Um, oh yeah, there was this other really funny scene that I wanted to talk about where uh, 
Joe and Steve go to this like apartment complex and oh was yeah it, was it Chan's old apartment or someone like yeah and it's his neighbor yeah his yeah. neighbor neighbor <laughs> yeah and his neighbor's like completely racist against them even though like he's also Chinese <laughs> <laughs> he's like no I don't want to talk to any of you like no no and then they're like oh well, come on come on and I really love the ending of the scene too because it just shows like a unique uh a, a unique glimpse into uh Joe and Steve's relationship because like clearly they aren't going to you know get an inch with this person and then Steve just puts his back up against the, his wall he's like all right go on in and he like holds his gun up or his hands up like a gun mm -hmm. and then like uh, you can see Joe like really f enjoying this like endearing moment with his nephew and then, like, uh, he sort of, like, passes him off and, like, slaps him on the shoulder and just, like, walks off. And then, like, you could tell that, like, Steve is just, like, happy to put a smile on Joe's face. Because he knows that this whole thing really means a lot to Joe. Uh, whether or not he he admits it, you know, because he claims that it's he's just trying to get his money back. But he, there he is helping his uncle out the entire time. I just love their entire dynamic. I love that. I love the, in that scene, I love the... Uh... The two meta thing, not meta, the meta thing, and then the narrative connection, where it's revealed later that the reason that guy may have been racist is in connection to the shooting over the dispute of the Taiwan versus PCR flag. So I, I, I interpreted it as racism first, but then later on, when it's revealed that Chan may have been mixed up in that, I took it as like him saying like he doesn't want any like. PCR people coming by or looking for Chan or looking for trouble. So he just tells them to leave. And then, yeah, I like the uh, the Dirty Harry reference, because I think he tells us he tells Joe to get out the Magnum. <laughs> and like, yeah, he does like the pose with the gun as like yeah, get your, <laughs> get your Dirty Harry gun out, which I think was in San Fran, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. All those movies. Yeah. Yeah, really endearing <laughs> scene. Yeah, I think I think Wayne Wang did such an incredible job, like, you know, directing and, and editing. And he was like a co-writer on this film with the, the two other screenwriters, uh, Isaac Cronin. Um, and I forgot the third writer, but um, yeah, I just I just love that uh, he was able to, like, collaborate with other people on this not just like the Chinese American experience, but like how they um, navigate with other people in San Francisco, you know, how they uh, interact with, um, with people who are, who aren't even Chinese. And it's, it's kind of interesting. Like some of the, I love some of the uh, cinematography by Michael Chen, who uh, like they had POV shots of like yeah. in the, in the restaurant. I love those shots. Yeah, it, it felt like you were a guest at the at the evening, you know, like visiting with everyone and everyone just being so welcoming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was uh I like I like the lens that they try to um I guess uh, inject us in, you know, like the the perspective of the viewer of just being these Asians and Asian Americans and serving them and how it's like 
to be there and like yeah uh man it's so hard to explain but um at times it feels like a an experience for me like feeling like the other when i go to like a social setting or go to like a restaurant or or something like that like i wonder like i i sometimes am curious like huh i wonder if they treat me any different than somebody else you know uh because of the way i look or you know because i have my mask on or because i have my mask off like you know that that's also another variable now um in public when you're out in like much more social settings and um you know or when people like even people from your own community give you back on and compliments like wow you know your english is so great like you must have gone through college or something and I'm just <laughs> experiencing that it's not that bad it's not that big of a deal to be honest i mean i i, I see it as more of a compliment and i and i like that how some of the uh, characters in this film take a jab at those kind of jokes like calling um joe like the charlie chan detective like even though like he's like oh you you don't even look like the the charlie chan type because you know in reality charlie chan was played by someone who wasn't even a chinese american <laughs> played by a swedish american actor who supposedly looks asian enough for the role back in like the 1920s so it was like a yeah they were playing on that idea of like charlie chan and the title itself being chan is missing um yeah i think that it's like a it's it's symbolic like all those stories of chan is like symbolic of like just the chinese american experience like like we could all be like this you know that those things those stories could all be true because it could represent um all of us as as asian americans so what did you think of the uh the song towards the end uh you have to remind me what uh like when um we're talking about all the food and it's like come to california or whatever dang i need to look it up again um i just thought it was like i got like kind of a weird vibe from it i was like this seems like they like say like even your the lady that's serving your food is a treat or something <laughs> you know what uh that's that's funny because like i probably missed out on listening to that song at the end um oh man i need to look that up hold on <laughs> i need to look up that song now is that during um, the montage at the very end yeah okay just as yeah. a oh wait no go for it no no you were saying kevin oh i was just gonna say like just as a side note like while you're while you're looking it up <laughs> i wanted to see what other movies wayne wayne made and I was really surprised to see that he made a bunch of, like, early 2000s rom-coms. Really? Yeah, like, he made Made in Manhattan with J with Jennifer Lopez in it. Oh, what? Yeah, like, I mean, he directed it. And then oh, he also... So he... <laughs> and he did Last Holiday as well. Oh. With so a, he did have a... Oh. He went from this indie film director to like doing these like, yeah, like mainstream rom coms. I didn't. I had no idea. Isn't that wow. hilarious? <laughs> what? 
Was he at least doing like the two for them, one for me? Did he make anything else or is it just from <laughs> like some passion projects in between? <laughs> I mean, it, it looks like he, I mean, he made like 24 films, but it just looks like in his later years, he took on like a like he also made another one with called Anywhere But Here about a story of a mother who knows best and a daughter who knows better with uh, Susan Sarandon and Natalie Portman. <laughs> okay. Oh no way! You gotta live. The man's Damn, an artist. He made it, dude. Yeah. My boy made it. He was pretty successful. Okay, I'm happy for him now because I'm like, it's like, man, where did he go after Joylet Club and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess in response to the to what you were talking about, Tyler, about the song and like how oh, it references like women as like treats and stuff. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I guess you, I can give a similar critique to like music today, you know, where they objectify women or something. Or, um, I mean, I like that. It's maybe someone like I think it's Nicki Minaj who does the same thing with her song, like WAP or something, or uh, or Anaconda or whatever. I, I'm not really like yeah. attuned with like modern music right now, so I don't really know. Uh, kind of like Pat on that end. I'm kind of a contrarian when it comes to. Uh, like these popular songs like i have no idea what's like what's what's hitting or what's popping or whatever um i know about wap as a cultural touchstone of like <laughs> what are our values is this supposed to be empowering <laughs> i don't know even right or like megan the stallion's doing something similar i don't really listen to her music but i know like she's supposed to be empowering for women right now she did one um, i think right i think she was in there yeah yeah i believe so um but in regards to the lyrics, I mean, I don't know. And my response is, hey, man, do do music about Asian-American guys. I mean, we like to be objectified, too. Let's do it. Like, Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, I was in this uh, forum for uh, mostly like Asian, Asian-Americans. And they posted an article about, um, I think it's a Vice article. I don't remember. But I think it's about the Asian American experience and like say, hey, hey, Asian men, like how, how would you feel if you started getting objectified now or like, would you guys welcome it? And then so many of the comments are like, hell yeah, hell yeah, we would. And then like some of the Asian women were like, no, that's not good. That's not good for our community. And then a lot of people were saying like, well, it's different for Asian women because you guys have a different like there's a different stereotype or there's a different sort of objectification towards Asian women because they're seen as like, you know, uh, submissive or, you know, even like maybe the older women like as tiger moms and such. And because they're more, um, I guess, because people see them as more exotic. Uh, and I'm speaking for like from the comments, not from my, my view personally, um, although I can agree to some of that. Uh, yeah, I mean, us Asian American men or Asian men aren't really like, I don't think we're, we've ever been seen as attractive in my opinion in media. Like, I don't think I've ever seen like a movie or commercial where like, you know, like, like where we get objectified. I'm like, huh. I mean, it wouldn't really offend me because I, ha it's not like, it's not a huge thing, you know, it's not like, I don't know. It's like, I have a complicated relationship with that. It's like, well, we're kind of invisible. 
So yeah, I don't know. What do you, what what's what's you guys' reaction to that <laughs> or to like my take? I think Henry has it solved. But <laughs> but again, like uh, like it doesn't matter, right? Pretty much saying uh, like, hey, I shouldn't care about that. <laughs> or it's, all, it's it's purely about root. Re- 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 what is the fucking word? It's purely about l- commodifying people. It's like the nation isn't about accepting anyone unless right. if you're a part of the already accepted in quotes community you're in. And if you're out, you're never going to get in. And even the people in those said communities, it's still about, you know, this class and status. And it's, everything outside of that is about commodifying the other. Especially when you talked about the. Uh, the uh, the the exoticization of the of Asian females conventionally, I've seen pe- I've seen theories on that as it's like a sexual pathology of like the Vietnam War era. Mm-hmm. Like there's like a there's a wave of every every exoticized when the other is exoticized, it normally correlates to a conflict with that region, and it's like this subconscious desire to sexually dominate that culture of people and that's why like in the 70s through 80s you get like the the maybe 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 i'm overreading it but like there's like the 80s like fear of the japanese rising and the more prevalence of those desirable or media representations as sex objects and right. stuff like that so i think it's even grosser to like <laughs> like the yeah the the machinations behind why groups are selected to be exoticized like has like yeah upsetting roots yeah i mean i I can agree with that but it hasn't gotten gross for us yet so i wanted to get to a point where it can be borderline gross and we can have more of a discussion and critique of it but but until then i'm like hey bring it on bring on the filthiness like (laughs) <laughs> like I'm all for it, you know. Like um, there's there's more to us than just you know looking at K-pop stars, you know. Because like I don't know, I don't know what it is. Like whenever I'm on dating apps or something, and people like always ask me like, "Hey, like I remember somebody literally messaged me and was like, "Hey, are you Chinese?" That's like the first thing they ask me. <laughs> I'm just like, I wonder what they're asking. Like, what is that based on? You know. Um, or, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've gotten comments before where someone's like, yeah, I really love K-pop and anime. And I'm like, are you are you saying that to me because you because th- I'm Asian or you think that I really love anime? Because I'm really far removed from those things. <laughs> um, yes, it's it's uh, I don't know. it's kind of a funny experience. Like, I'm just looking back and like thinking like, uh. It, it is funny when when people can't figure you out or when you're much more elusive. And um, yeah, I don't know. Or like on dating apps, when I when I tell someone like what my ethnicity is or uh, one time I told a girl like my ethnic, I'm a, I was Pomeranian and and she really didn't know what Pomeranian was. I was like, huh. It's like I was calling myself Pomeranian because I was wondering if she likes, you know, Pomeranians like the dogs and she had no idea she's like I've never heard of Pomeranian before what's that I'm just like oh facepalm um <laughs> okay I'm not gonna tell you what I really am then 
Um, yeah, I kind of went on a tangent, sorry. But yeah, to that, I would say you are right, Pat. Um, you know, maybe, maybe I shouldn't get with it. Maybe I shouldn't get with the whole commodification of... Um, of my even my own culture which is which has already happened anyway um yeah i mean when people think of vietnamese you know they think of the war or think of think of the, our food and yeah they don't really think about like the beauty of uh, vietnamese culture you know we have a i feel like we have such really great language and culture and we we come from really rich roots and the fact that, like, I don't know, Vietnam doesn't really have uh, a strong economy, or at least, like, at least since, like, the fall of Vietnam. And then, like, yeah, now it's gotten much better. I, I know that there's, like, a much better film scene, too. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, objectify us Vietnamese people for once. <laughs> I mean, I'll laugh at it. I mean, Pat, aren't aren't you down for it? You know, like, wouldn't you want gingers to be more objectified too? I've already lived through that era. <laughs> you lived through it. Yeah. You know how many? I'm. I always get the Ron. I'm Ron Weasley. Is what I get. <laughs> no, Pat, you're. Oh. Um... <laughs> you don't want to be. You don't want to be commodified and reduced to symbols. <laughs> Probably. Um, no, Pat, you can be uh, Caleb Landry Jones. You know, he's a really great actor. I don't know. Young. He's in three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Wow. Such a good actor. But um, yeah, you know, there there are some really great. Um, damn, I can't think of any other ones. <laughs> yeah, that's that's Henry's. The Henry, or the takeaway from Henry, I got. Maybe I'm just projecting all my thoughts onto Henry, but like, yeah, he felt like he's aware that like this country's not about integrating others. It's about maybe making symbols to be consumed. Like when he remarks about when him and Chan came over, they weren't. They were like aeronautical engineers. He's like, they don't want us to be engineers. They want us to make food. They want the commodity that we bring. Right. Hmm. Yeah. And now he's filthy rich. He has eight restaurants and, you know, maybe it's because he's so far up the chain now that like he, he can feel that way. He's like, he could separate himself. Whereas the people at the bottom are still trying to, call their way out climb up and maybe one way to you know to feel accepted is to like integrate themselves first that's why who knows this, that's why it feels like the trauma or the sad thing is it seems like chan who was number one in the class wasn't able to maybe this is what the joe that was my reading of the joe like photo at the end the black and white photo yeah like an enigma aspect of like maybe he could never integrate or maybe he's a 
Maybe he's like an ideal that's lost the old country in Joe, or the old culture in Joe that he no longer has. Yeah, I thought that was very really powerful, that photo. It's now that we've all talked about it, because it is almost representative of like this obscure identity of like what an Asian American is. And it's not really like fully defined. And we're just kind of in blurred lines right now. Cause at least for me, like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to keep some of my cultural roots, but like, I, I'm really like mostly American. Um, even though I could agree that like capitalism is like the root of our suffering. I could like kind of accept part, you know, accept capitalism in a way, but also reject most of it. Um, and I think I have the benefit and the privilege of that, of being, because I am in between cultures that I could, I could have that opinion much more freely. I think, I feel like I'm much more safe to have that opinion now, but, um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, with that being said, do we have any, uh, closing thoughts? Anyone want to mention anything before we end this episode? Well, I just want to say I'm grateful for having you guys for this episode. I'm, I'm glad everyone liked it and I'm happy to like shed some, like, you know, have a spotlight on Wayne Wang's Chan is Missing, his first film and the fact that like he's become this successful director. I'm really happy that uh, you brought that up, Kevin, because uh, you know what? He, he may not be, you know, this auteur filmmaker like a Scorsese or you know or maybe even like an M. Night Shyamalan you know where he like got to do all his passion projects um hey at least he made it as an Asian American filmmaker and that's all like that's all I could really be like happy for so like I'm so grateful for that and appreciative um and hopefully we can have more Asian American filmmakers up and coming and Maybe uh, a person who's listening to this right now is one. And yeah, hopefully you guys like this episode. Um, again, I'm your one of your co-hosts, Richie. My co-host, Kevin, Pat, Tyler. Thank you guys for watching this film with me. And yeah, that's it for episode 45. And we'll see everyone next time. I've already given up on finding out what happened to Chan Hung. But what bothers me is that I no longer know who Chan Hung really is. Mr. Lee says Chan Hung and immigrants like him need to be taught everything as if they were children. Mr. Fong thinks anyone who can invent a word processing system in Chinese must be a genius. Steve thinks that Chan Hung is slow with it, but sly when it comes to money. Jenny thinks that her father is honest and trustworthy. Mrs. Chan thinks her husband is a failure because he isn't rich. Amy thinks he's a hot-headed political activist. The old man thinks Chan Hung just a paranoid person. Henry thinks Chan Hung is patriotic and has gone back to the mainland to serve the people. Frankie thinks Chan Hung worries a lot about money and his inheritance. He thinks Chan Hung's back in Taiwan, fighting with his brother over the partition of some property. George thinks Chan Hung's too Chinese, 
and unwilling to change. Presco thinks he's an eccentric who likes mariachi music. The problem with me is that I believe what I see and hear. If I did that with Chan Hung, I'll know nothing because everything is so contradictory. Here's a picture of Chan Hung, and I still can't see him. <laughs> 